In today's episode, we are chatting with Dan Rogers about systematizing success. You definitely don't want to miss this one, so don't you change that dial or drop that phone. We're about to level it up and shatter the mold. Question. In a world where groupthink is the norm, others want what you've earned, and thinking for yourself will get a target painted on your back, how do you flip the script and level up your business, your money, relationships, your health, your status, and your life? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan, and it's time to shatter the mold. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Shatter the Mold. Andrew S. Kaplan, really excited to be here with you today. We've got an awesome guest, but before we get there, quick update on my book, The Last Law of Attraction book you'll ever need to read. Thank you so much to everyone who continues to buy it. Thank you for everyone leaving those five-star rave reviews. Uh, Thanks for the word of mouth. Thank you for spreading the word and telling your friends. All I can say is whenever I hear from someone uh, that they heard about it through a friend, it really just, you know, lights up my day. I have immense gratitude that you care that much and think that much of the content and the book to tell your friends, to tell your family, to trust them with this. And really, it's that kind of word of mouth that's led to it being featured in Forbes and being featured in USA Today and even Yahoo last year. So again, thank you so much. I really do appreciate you. And more importantly, I appreciate those that are actually taking the content and implementing it. Uh, The stories that I'm getting from you via email and, you know, through those five-star reviews on Amazon, they're just amazing and I can't thank you enough. With that said, if you've not checked out the book yet, you can feel free to do so by going to lastlawofattractionbook.com. That'll auto-forward to the listing on Amazon where you can check it out in Kindle or paperback or audiobook. But if you don't want to pull out your wallet, that's cool too. You can feel free to check out the free content that I create in support of the book by going to youtube.com slash andrewcap. And you will notice that very recently I've been publishing a lot of fun, interesting content there. You definitely want to check it out. With that said, let's get straight into our interview of the day. I'm going to switch up mics and we're going to begin our conversation with Dan. All right, I am super pumped for today's guest. Dan Rogers has achieved massive success by helping others reach their own dreams. As CEO of the Seattle-based Point-to-Point Transportation, he's been featured on the Inc. 5000 list for seven years. His perspective is simple. If you want to get ahead yourself, then help others get where they want to go. That mindset and mission is also the core foundation of his newest company, Sales Sidekick, which leverages his decades of sales and entrepreneurial expertise translating it into actionable steps for leaders to take and grow their own business. He's ready to play Robin to your Batman and help you take your company to the next level. And I'm sure he's got a lot of great insights to share with us today. So without any further ado, Shatter the Mold warmly welcomes Mr. Dan Rogers. Dan, thank you so much for being here, my friend, and welcome to Shatter the Mold. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. And, you know, uh, I always give a full disclosure to the audience where, you know, they get a, a bit of a backstage pass and uh, let them know in that intro that I read, I kind of threw in the part about, you know, you being Robin to people's Batman, uh, just with the sense that that's the feel that I got in my research of you and that you really want to be there every step of the way in whatever you're doing with people and kind of you're letting them play the hero or really be the hero in their business. Because as you know, I, I imagine, you know, we both agree that there's a lot of value in making sure that people have agency in what they're doing so that they can execute not only effectively for themselves, but for their own customers as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, my background was um, quite literal. Um, I was a furniture mover. And uh, so uh, <laughs> my whole job was to help people get to where they wanted to go. And, uh, and since then, I've just gotten a little bit more abstract with every step. But really what I found um, just every step of the way that it was just 
much easier rather than try to convince people to come my way to just sort of, uh, you know, find out about them, make it about them, see where they're trying to go. And then if there's a way that we can help, then we help them. And if we can't, then, then we certainly get out of their way and, and let them let them go be a success. Right. Now, you obviously, you know, you are well-versed. You've, you've got a, a huge background here in, in what you do. I'm curious, like, how did you follow down this path? Where did you get a start? And, you know, what inspired you or, or kind of like what led you down that path where you're becoming such a high-profile CEO and where you're really taking this uh, really amazing steps in your business and helping other people? Yeah, so um, I, I think one thing, um, I got to give a sort of a shout out to the hometown of Seattle, Washington. So I've been here since the mid 80s. And um, there's something, uh, something about proximity of being surrounded by just a tremendous amount of success. Uh, I won't read through the laundry list, but some of the most successful uh, global brands on the planet make their home here. And so uh, one thing I did successfully was I just didn't drown. Like, you know, as the tide continued to rise, we just sort of stayed on top of it. But um, so uh, I've been been fortunate that since really the mid 90s, everything I've done has been in one form or fashion, just completely surrounded by high growth. And even in just trying to graduate college, um, I got to a place where the only way to complete my school schedule was to take a part time job rolling burritos. And fortunately for me, um, two and a half years later, I had dropped out of college, um, but I had been part of uh, the team that led that from three locations to well over 50. And that really demystified business for me. Um, the, the guys that I worked for, thank God they never gave me equity or I'd probably still be rolling burritos today. But what I saw was, is that if you were sort of willing to pay the price ethically, that that was more about being a successful business person than it was being some brilliant visionary that had some incredible idea. I mean, what I saw these guys do over and over again is that they put ideas into play and the ones that worked, they repeated and the ones they didn't work, uh, that didn't work. Uh, they asked me to try something else. And, and uh, I was really fortunate that they let me try a bunch of my ideas. And quite frankly, for about two years, I was doing things I was completely unqualified to do, but they trusted me. And so I, we just kept doing it. And that's a little bit of where the sidekick mentality really started to solidify. It was, you know, rather than come be a crazy business person myself, I could, I could help these three guys sort of in, make their dream come true. And it was just a blast. It was an absolute blast. They had sort of set the, the vision. They had the North Star. And my job was just to sort of take it from there and try to make as much of that a reality as I could. Mm. And that was, uh, that was just a tremendous learning ground. Um, when I first used to reflect on it, I, I said that I would have done it for room and board. And then I said I would do it for free. And today, I think I, I mean, I, I think I'd actually borrow money to work that job again. I mean, it was literally the undergrad and MBA all rolled up in one. It's just a fantastic experience. You know, you, you speak to something really interesting there that a lot of people miss in that sometimes, I mean, listen, there, there's value in learning things in a very specific way, but there's also value in traveling the road less traveled where, you know, you don't run into the same obstacles. You'll run into different obstacles, but you don't run into the same obstacles that most people will, so, certainly just because, you know, you're not aware of it. You almost like you don't even realize, you know, how much you don't know. But by that same token, you have a certain freedom and flexibility in your creativity and in your willingness to just roll up your sleeves and get things done that I've seen, you know, in, in my experience in talking with people that have done that, it really does lend itself very heavily towards, you know, not a necessarily uh, an easy path to success, but a very, um, a very efficient one and a very profound one. 
No, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a story that I think sort of sums the whole thing up. So I, I don't know, let's say we're about a year and a half into my run there. I'm not exactly sure when it happened. It all sort of blurs together. But at that point, I was hiring everyone in the company and we're opening, we're trying to open a, a, a store once every couple of weeks. So I'm hiring store managers and burrito rollers and kitchen people and all this. And um, so uh, uh, the the store manager says there's somebody here wants to see an owner. And I was the closest thing to the owner in the corporate headquarters. And so I, I came down to meet with this person and it was a, you know, a, a guy in a suit and this is Seattle, like 1995, 1996, there wasn't a lot of suits in Seattle, uh, certainly not in a fast food restaurant. And he sat down with a briefcase, old school briefcase, and he pulled out his resume and he basically pitched to come work for us doing the job that they had asked me to do. And he was way more qualified and he was actually doing it for a nicer chain of restaurants than us. And he had, you know, he, he was incredibly compelling. He had all this great experience. And so I called one of the owners on the phone and I said, Hey, there's this guy and he's fantastic. He works for this other restaurant chain. I think we should hire him. <laughs> and they're like, what are you talking about? We've got you. And I said, no, he would be better at my job <laughs> than me. And he's like, no, we, we have you. And so um, what I learned in that experience was, is that even when someone more qualified shows up to do your job, if you're a trusted resource, you're pretty much indispensable. Mm -hmm. And the way that I had been indispensable is that I, you know, I took it as best I could, the vision that they were trying to achieve, and then just try to make that reality. And that's, like I said, that's really what just my entire experience there just completely reinforced that I, that it was just way easier and way more efficient and effective to just help other people get to where they want to go. And so um, from there, the furniture company that I'd been working for previously, that had been sort of waiting for me to graduate to get me in sales, realized that I was never going to graduate. And so then they reached out and asked me to get involved in sales. And so um, we had a very tough conversation with the breeder rollers and, and uh, we ended up coming, uh, uh, getting into sales and that, that led to a lot of success. Um, not initially uh, the first couple sales calls I made, there's no question. I was more qualified to actually physically transport whatever we were talking about than I was to sell the services, but I could speak, um, you know, very articulately. And, and I really understood exactly what we were up against in terms of the stuff that we we're trying to move. And eventually over time, um, because I, I did understand the client's perspective so well, and I sort of technically knew what needed to happen in terms of actually physically moving the stuff, I just got super selective with the people that we would work with. I found that there wasn't, I mean, virtually everyone that we showed up to, we could have moved their stuff, like they had something to move. But what I found after closing some people that we shouldn't have closed that, that were buying shipping services, they weren't buying our unique you know, value proposition, they were just buying somebody to move the stuff that that those were actually really hard customers to keep and that our best customers were the ones that actually wanted what we were selling and at first I had a little sort of litmus test and it was if you with this person upset and it was a customer service person that worked for me I won't use her name but it's like well if this person's going to upset so-and-so we just can't it doesn't matter we can't work with them and the type of people that upset, <laughs> upset this particular customer service person were people that really didn't want us to do the work for them. They wanted us to act as an order taker instead of taking all that work off their desk. And so um, she was a great sort of just quick 
run through in my head. And then we got a little bit more scientific as time went on and tried to qualify people a little bit better as we went on. And, and then uh, that led to a tremendous amount of success in the Mayflower van line system and eventually the Atlas van line system. And in 2002, um, just under five years after starting there, I actually bought the agency that I went to work for. And that's when Point to Point was born. Now, this is a, obviously a really formative time in your life as you're just, you know, you're, you're learning what business is because, you know, it's, it's that level, that pedigree that you took into point to point to make that so successful. As you're going through this part in your life, what to you can you think back on was the most profound or do you think useful marketing uh, piece of advice or, or piece of insight that you, that you got while you were doing that? So I think the, the, the one thing that, uh, is that um, I went to work for a company that already had some brand awareness. We were known and were credible as a, a, a high sort of top of the food chain specialized shipping company. So it certainly helped to be in a place that was already known um, uh, as opposed to trying to break new ground. But the one thing that I really learned um, from a marketing perspective was to, to do the same thing consistently because I couldn't hear what messages were landing with if I kept changing the message. And so um, I only actively sold like 40 hours a week or 60 hours a week, whatever I was doing um, for about four years. But when I was doing it full time, I, I mean, I was fairly um, absolutely totally systematic. I mean, I would say like the last year I did it, the client intake was identical. And by having that consistency of messaging to really find out what mattered to them was really, really, really powerful because um, I think what we accidentally did or sort of semi-intentionally, but, you know, re-engineering it, looking in the rear view mirror is like I said, is we unqualified people that we should have never worked with in the first place. Mm. And um, the company's long since been out of business. And this guy's name was Fred and Fred was a super, super nice guy. Like I liked him a lot. And I liked talking to him, but like we had to reclose him like twice a week. And that was Fred and, and then upsetting the customer service person was really like, I was like, Hey, I have to do a better job on my side. My job as a salesperson isn't actually to draw people to us. It's actually to only let the people through that we're supposed to work for. And we had to get really clear on what we were, what we were going to do. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to take all of that work off of their desk, right? Like I didn't, I, I wanted, I mean, I, we didn't use words like sidekick yet. That would come later, but that was what we were doing. It was like, we wanted to find people who valued um, the details and valued that they needed sort of a top-notch provider, but had no desire. And so our initial language we used is we were looking for reluctant shippers, you know, they were like, they were, they were reluctantly in the business. They, they had to do it. They had no desire or want to do it. And that sounds sort of silly, but I've met lots of people that they actually want to work in our operations department. And if you want to work in our operations department, we'll hire you, but we won't compete with a customer. You know what I mean? It's mm. like, someone's got to manage these details. Do you really want somebody to take this off your desk and hold, you can hold us accountable for it and we'll be, and we'll deliver on it. And that was really, I think, I don't know that I don't think of, I, I've sort of come to find out in the last five years or so that I don't think of sales and marketing and some of the, in the more traditional, I sort of blend them together. And, um, and I really think of, of marketing and sales is semi-synonymous. I understand there's sort of two different processes to it, but, but um, to me, the messaging has to be consistent 
um, on the marketing side and the sales side. I mean, the sales team has to do <laughs> has to do their job in terms of only letting the right customers through. Hmm. Very interesting. You know, even you know, as if I'm understanding you right, that customer service person was almost like a barometer, uh, a reliable way of judging yeah. while you were getting a better feel of spotting it before it even got to that level. That's that's a hundred percent right. And it's so funny. I haven't said this in probably like ten years, uh, even though it's more true today than it was back when I used to say it all the time. But um, uh, and it's funny how sort of semi prophetic this was because I used to say. So uh, we're not going video on this one because uh, Andrew's nice to all you guys. But but um, I'm a five foot seven bald fifty two year old guy, and so I used to say, "Our team is so good. I'm the pretty face." Right. And, <laughs> and it's a little bit of the barometer. It's like, look, I've got we've got such an incredible team behind us. We don't need some Ken doll or some Barbie doll out here to sort of do this. We just need somebody who can sort of make sure that only the right people go th- get through. And that's that's absolutely how it was. And 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 I'll tell you, like, there's you got to get to viable first. Right. Like, that's a big deal. You got to have a viable business first and you got to have a viable book of business as a, as a salesperson. But once you get to viable, then then it's all about being super selective and really figuring out what you can be great at. And and then is there a market for it? You know, you speak to something that's um, in my view and, and you might have more insight on this. It's almost it's very delicate because when you're getting to viable, you are in most cases compromising and taking people you shouldn't. <laughs> And then it becomes a question, I mean, I'm, I'm always I'm curious about your thoughts of at what point um, and how do you say, okay, it's time to be more selective? And is that something that um, there's a conversation that happens or do you just kind of get to that point where somebody gets on your last nerve and you finally say, okay, we're, we're done doing it this way now? So, so I'll tell you how I would recommend um, people do it now. And then I tried it at least two different ways to figure out before I think this current version is by far the best idea. The first two were pretty painful. But but what I would say now is, is I think the most useful way to think about a business is as a system. And you can drill down on the systems thinking. We could totally geek out on it and get super complex. But to keep it reasonably simple, it's a system. It has three core subsystems. The first one is, we've already talked about it, marketing and sales. And then the second one, we've got to produce it and deliver it. And then the third one is we got to get paid and we got to pay for it, right? And I think viable in my book is we look at those three core subsystems and we rate them on a scale of one to 10. And if you take, if you can get to 24, you're viable, right? If you can get to, if you can get to 24 ethically, you're viable, Right. And you could be better than 24, but I think you got to be at least 24. And you can get there however you want. You could be 10, 4, 10. You could be, you know, 4, 10, 10, whatever. There's probably one silly unicorn out there that's 8, 8, 8, right? The perfectly balanced business, but I've never seen it. But so that to me is viable. Um, and and that's how I would look at it now. That's how we're looking at um, other people's businesses that we know and other people that ask us for help. But But how I used to look at it was through break points and all this other nonsense. And um, uh, I, I think the way to look at it is what are you willing to sort of pay the price for to add value into the marketplace, right? And so when, when I, when I um, look at what we did at Point to Point and what we're doing um, currently, it's I'm actually willing to put that value into the marketplace to see if I can build a community that will build a viable business around my crazy idea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
that's that's how I would recommend doing it. I tried it a whole bunch of different other ways that were super painful, uh, and they sound better in NBA white papers and all that, but they weren't they weren't nearly as much fun. So, got it. Very interesting. And you know, just a little sidebar here. Some of the things that you describe, I I think most people will agree with it, but not most people will be able to do it. Meaning, there's a certain personality type that's required to have this level of attention to detail, and to be frank and be candid to have this level of patience with all the variables and all the different moving parts that you can kind of put it together in some kind of system in your mind and then put to paper and apply from there. I think some people that don't have, that aren't uh, mentally or emotionally predisposed towards that style would really struggle with it. Well, uh, absolutely. And guilty as charged. But like Mm. I said, this is how I would approach it now. I think there was two different versions, at least. Uh, There's probably some people that would argue there's 200 different versions of it, but but um, but maybe this will help folks sort of compress some time and, and leverage from my um, from my learnings because it was definitely a process. So um, so in 1994, I made some decisions to to do things differently and and just decided to like go try to be helpful to other people. And from 1994 to 2007, it was like everything I touched went to gold. I mean. We did the restaurants. That was crazy. When we got into sales, that was crazy. Then we bought the company in 2002. That was crazy. We were a fast-growing company from 2002 to 2007. And in 2007, I woke up and I hated my job. Hated Mm -hmm. it. Absolutely hated it. And, you know, in in 1994, rolling burritos, I loved my job. Uh, And then uh, I loved sales and I loved running the company um, when I bought it initially. But somewhere... By the time we got to 2007, despite the fact that we had a second company and we had, you know, eight digits worth of revenue and profitability and the best year top line and bottom line and percentage and all that other stuff, we knew that was coming. And I woke up and I still hated my job. And so I tried blaming um, employees. I tried blaming customers. I tried blaming providers. And eventually I had to look in the mirror and obviously it was my problem. And so I, um, uh, the universe sort of provided. And uh, I was introduced to what would be the first coach of several that we hired. And um, she asked me a very simple question. She said, Dan, what's, what's the vision? And it's a fairly colorful story, so I won't use all of her language. But she gave me about 45 seconds. And then in very strong language, she's like, stop, 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 stop. And she's like, I have no idea what you effing just said. But if you don't have a vision, you can't articulate a vision. If you can't articulate a vision, you can't share it with other people. If you can't share it with other people, you can't tell them what to do. If you can't tell people what to do, they can't do what you want. No wonder you hate your job. I would hate working for you. Mm. And we had like, you know, 50 people, two companies, all that. And I'm like, you're hired. Like, you're hired. And I'm going to get, I'm going to get to the point in terms of why it, you know, why I look at it differently. So we, we did the hard work of cleaning up the vision or actually coming up with a vision. We wanted to sort of take work off of people's desk, but we got pretty lazy with the vision after that. So we got super clean with it, figured out what that was. And then we took a look at the existing businesses and we're like, hey, this is fantastic. Only 70% of it doesn't fit into what we're going to do. And so going into 2008, we fired 70% of our customers, wow. 70 cents on the dollar on an eight digit business, right? Uh, and then if you're keeping up or you're a history buff, then the recession hit. And that's another, another 70% or so hit the event business. We went all in on events. We said we want to be a world-class event shipping company in 2007 and going into 2008. 
So, you know, that's like a 91% revenue hit in the span of uh, 18 months. And um, we got down to six people and two things happened. One is I loved my job. And two, we, we had more fun and more clarity in terms of what we were doing. And going into COVID, we basically grew that business back two and a half times in terms of where it was before we broke it apart, completely inside of that vision. Right. And, and so um, the only reason why I was willing to fire 70% of our customers is that I hated my job. <laughs> and I think without whether, whether you want to do it sort of analytically with systems or whatever, without a clear vision, with, if you haven't figured out what that thing is that you're willing to pour into the marketplace, it will eventually lead to misery because mm. I did it. I did it. <laughs> I did it. I did it. I did it. Like I absolutely did it. Like, I mean, I went with like all of the best intentions and a pseudo idea and we had success, like we had success. And, 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 and then unfortunately we had too much success and, and got to the place where I just didn't, I didn't want to do it anymore. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's difficult. Um, I've, I've, I've hit more than one bottom before when you have nothing to complain about and you don't really like it, it's, it's not a cool place to be. It, it'll get you to the place where you're willing to fire 70% of your customers. You know, it's interesting because making a move like that, well, there's two pieces. One, even when you're miserable, um, it takes a certain level of courage, but also even like, not even to even find the people that have the courage to do it. Not many people that have the courage also have the authority. So, you know, in many cases, you were this perfect combination in that you had the courage or even just the frustration, but you also had the authority where, you know, in many cases, the person that wants to fire 70% can't get the person in charge to do it. So this is a very interesting and unique scenario, especially with the timing of the recession, all those things, yeah. and, and how it all came together. It's, it's um, I guess, a very unexpected crash course in building or rebuilding your business back up from yeah. a brand new perspective. Well, and, and, you know, sort of the blessing and curse of doing it right before the recession is we were actually way ahead, you know, in some ways, because we, you know, we cut as much as we could. We actually kept all the people. We didn't let anyone go because I was like, hey, um, this, this, this one's on me. You guys came here. Uh, they, they joined the company. And, and so we had a little bit of a heart to heart. We said, look, if you can't get behind the new vision, please let us know because <laughs> we don't want to, we don't want to keep all these people. Um, but we also don't want to just, hey, we didn't have a vision. And so we let everyone go. And so I have to go back and think about it, but I'd say roughly um, in reasonably short order, about one third um, opted out. And then uh, roughly about another third over time really didn't have the willingness to sort of go all in on, you know, when you clean up a vision like that, the, the good and bad news is, is it makes it really obvious who is and isn't on board. Mm. And some people that just want jobs, there's nothing wrong with having a job. But when, when you're working with, and it wasn't, I mean, I was, I was the guy in charge, but there was other people that, like you said, that were more than willing to go along. And so there was a core of, of six of us that were just completely like, we're going to do this. And when you're surrounded by that, if you're not on that team, it becomes pretty obvious when you're not. And so that sort of self-selected um, as we went forward with the clarity of the vision. Um, yeah, no, I, and I, I think um, the, the thing that, that uh, impressed me the most about what we did is we just told folks, we're like, let's stop watching the news. <laughs> uh, 
let's just talk to everybody that we know and let's just try to put some W's up on other people's boards and see what happens. And um, I mean, crazy, 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 crazy things happened. Like crazy things happened. Like, and it was in large part, I think um, there was six of us that were just like, this is what we're going to do. And we went out there, like I said, really more trying to create value with the people that we were talking to than sell them a bunch of stuff. And initially when we first started doing it, there wasn't anything to sell because no one was going to events anyway. So all mm. we could do was help them out. It's been a while, of course, but do you have a, a vivid memory of how to articulate that vision even today? Or has it evolved so much that you don't really remember it the same way? Yeah, so we, we um, <laughs> I, the, I think the first one was something along the lines of we wanted to be uh, like I said, we're in Seattle, Washington. So we want to, be, and we want to be hyper-focused. Like we went from like no vision to like, like, you know, microscopic detail. So it was like the Northwest, the premier Northwest event shipping company or something like that was sort of the first vision. And then um, we're big fans of uh, Gazelles and Rockefeller Habits and EOS. These are all sort of coaching systems that have been very helpful on the way. And Jim Collins um, is big on BHAGs and, and all that. And our first BHAG, I was actually afraid to tell anybody, um, but it was, it was 20 million by 2020. And, um, and, and I mean, I can say it now, but, but at the time, you know, we were like just over a million bucks. Like that seemed, that seemed pretty crazy. Like I didn't tell anybody for like 18 months what it was. And then um, by the sort of grace of the universe and by just continuing to sort of work those habits and everything, we actually did a team meeting uh, a kickoff meeting, and I asked a, another uh, woman on the team to facilitate a BHAG conversation, and that group of employees actually crafted the BHAG that ran us all the way into COVID, um, mm. uh, which didn't have anything to do with money. It was all about um, being great, so that was really cool. For those who don't know what BHAG is, what is it? So big, hairy, audacious goal, and Jim Collins is one of the most prolific thought leaders around business out there right now, and his basic quick synopsis is is he studied roughly 100 of the most successful organizations of all time and just looked for like the key things that they all did one of which is that they all had what he called termed BHAGs big hairy audacious goals and um, the ones that we know about everyone's heard of you know so like uh, Microsoft was you know a computer on every home and on every desk they had to change servers and um, so that that was we we, we crafted our own BHAG so yeah got it awesome so in that time where you took this new direction and you went on this incredible, uh, you know, length of um, just, you know, growth here. Now that you kind of, for lack of a better way of describing, you kind of knew who you were and you knew the way you want to go. Was there anything in terms of decisions you made or in terms of events that unfolded that really surprised you in the face of all that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I know we don't have... <laughs> I mean, I could go on for, I'm, even I could go on for like a week. There was, I mean, the learning was like off, off the chart. I mean, we learned stuff mm. between 2002 and 2007, and then we learned a bunch of it again. And then we learned some new interesting ways to make mistakes and all sorts of stuff. But what I would say is, and I, I definitely am a firm believer of this, success is way harder than failure. Like it's way harder. It's, it's, it's a lot more fun to brag to your friends about um, but it's way harder to stay the course and to maintain success than it is to deal with failure and setback. Um, and so like one of the first ones that pops up is, so we, we doubled three years in a row um, somewhere along the way. And, and um, 
we had, I mean, our, if you look at those three sort of subsystems that I was mentioned before for a long, long time, like since 2004, our third subsystem, uh, getting paid for it and paying for it is a 10. Like it's our back office is phenomenal. There's been some very talented people that have kept that train on the tracks. It's a legacy of ours. And so because of that, we had unbelievable forecasting and predicting and cash positions and all this other stuff. And so we did meticulous planning. And for three years in a row, we had staffing plans about how many we were going to hire and what we we're going to do and all that. And so then you, you roll that plan. And then we actually were more successful and had more sales and more revenue than we thought. And then we're shorthanded, right? And it was a little bit of a death spiral almost because no matter what we did, we couldn't over hire, right? And mm. so then we, we definitely, I think, uh, I'm not happy or proud of it, but I think it's true. I mean, for a little bit, we were a meat grinder despite the fact that we didn't want to be, and it was the last thing I wanted to happen. But like, that was a little bit of what our legacy was for a good couple three years. And then we finally got out in front of it where we just so grossly overhired and the revenue started to teeter off a little bit to where it was sort of manageable growth. We got out in front of it and, and then we were able to standardize systems and made some more changes in the business. But it's actually very, very difficult to deal with growth at that level. And, and forget about onboarding people and all that other stuff, but just like literally, do we have enough people so people can get PTO? Like it was pretty bad. I mean, I think the people who aren't successful yet and that look from afar with with jealousy and impatience, I think that they don't appreciate how dangerous and difficult it is to navigate when you grow too fast. Yeah, no, I, uh, you know, so we we did the Inc. 5000 seven years in a row and um, like, it's fun to, so I'm, I'm I'm way more, I, I like, I like talking about what we've done more than hyping what, what we're going to do. But on one hand, that's a great little asterisk that we'll definitely take that for the back of our baseball card. But um, if I felt like there was a way that maybe we could have done it three times, <laughs> and we could have spread it out a little bit more and, and managed it better. Like I happily would have done that. Like there's, mm-hmm. there was a, there was a price that, that a lot of folks paid and, and I feel good that we made um, ethical decisions. And I mean, I made plenty of decisions that I would do differently because they were just dumb decisions, but um, from an ethics and a, and a sort of character standpoint, I'll stand behind what we've done, even though it, you know, it didn't always work out uh, right, but at least from a, a character and ethics standpoint, it was, but um, mm. no, it, it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough growing at that rate. The other thing is, is that um, it's not just like your, your friends, but also like the friends in your community like we were, we still are point to point is a shipping company. That's what it does. It's a highly specialized shipping company. We're like a sort of a world-class provider to the largest corporate events. We can make things happen there that people didn't think was possible. And when I, for the longest time, I drove a Honda Civic and, you know, I was just a little freight guy and everyone sort of liked that spot, but as point to point got to be a little bigger and we were bigger than some of the other people in our network, there were still obviously huge players in the event business, but um, not, not everyone was rooting for our success either. You know, um, not, not everyone, not everyone, uh, you know, people sort of like everybody in their own spot. And so, um, you really have to be clear and happy with what you're doing. Cause at the end of the day, my experience has been, is that, um, it, it just still comes down to that personal accountability. You know, I mean, mm. I've been grateful that we've had a lot of great, uh, uh, employees over the years and still have plenty now and there's been remarkable client um, um, relationships and vendor relationships and and not um, official I mean a great business partner at one point and strategic alliances and mentors and all that other stuff but 
um, pretty soon it's, it's, it just still ends up being, if you're going to be the entrepreneur, it ends up being you. And so I, uh, I'm glad that uh, up to this point, knock on wood, that we'll, we'll live with all the decisions that we made, despite the fact that it's probably like 51% good and 49%, you know, wrong or incorrect, but like we've, we've managed to survive the bad decisions that we've made, but, but ethically, you know, I'm, I'm okay with what we've done. So, yeah. You know, as we wind things down, we, we've really, we've, we've covered a lot of ground here and I want to thank you for being so um, patient and forthcoming and uh, really honestly insightful as we did this. But with that said, with all the, the pieces we've kind of filled in all the blanks we've filled in, is there anything that you think that we've missed so far in terms of a point that you think is important to be made for the audience or, um, a factoid or an insight or something that we just haven't really touched on yet, but that's really vital to what you do and what you believe in. Yeah. So I, I think what, uh, I guess what I'd like to share is that, um, in all seriousness, I've just been fortunate to sort of survive all the decisions that I've made, but because I've attempted to be as consistent as I can and sort of ground them out in principles that we have come up with this sort of sidekick system it fits directly into sales, but it's a little bit more about transforming business. And it's a little bit about what I talked about before, about looking at the businesses in three ways. And we start on that first sort of subsystems because that's where it starts chronologically. But um, yeah, no, the, the thing that I would offer and the thing that was um, very easy for me to learn, this was one lesson that was easy for me to learn, is that there are no special snowflakes, that all these businesses are exactly the same and the massive benefit I had of not being the pretty face and of being the five foot seven freight guy is like, I never made it to the curb. You know what I mean? Like I never got higher than the curb and I'm grateful. It like, it, it wasn't always a lot of fun, but it was, it was really, really grateful because I couldn't fall in love with our business and what we we're doing. We were just sort of constantly tasked to continue to go create more value. And what I've seen, I mean, I know well over 600 other business owners to one level or another and a lot of them just fall in love with what they do. And look, people don't line up for iPhones anymore. Like sooner or later, you're not a special snowflake. You weren't in the first place. Eventually the market catches up and you're just another business. And the things that make successful businesses are really about just sort of mastering those sort of three subsystems. And I think there's there's a better way to do that. And I think the way that we we sort of engineered over our evolution of point to point was really to expect the business to do more than I think the current expectations are. Understood. Uh, if, you know, again, for me, this is obviously fascinating. I love talking about this stuff and I love learning from people that have been through the ringer and that understand that, you know, things look smooth from the outside looking in, but when you're actually in the machine and you're dealing with those cogs and you're dealing with pivoting and you're dealing with the unexpected, it really is a juggling act in many ways. So thank you for that. You know, if people want to learn more about you or connect with you um, in any way, shape or form, what is the best way for them to do so? Where's the best place for them to go? Yeah. So um, at this point, just everything's where tip of sphere for us is um, LinkedIn. So mm -hmm. Dan T Rogers, uh, just on LinkedIn, you can find me. Um, uh, if, if it doesn't say point to point transportation and sales sidekick, it's a, it's another, it's another great Dan T Rogers out there. So if you just message me directly there, um, if anything I've said, even remotely sounds helpful, my experience sounds like it can be helpful to somebody. Um, I do want to help folks. Um, uh, the doors open. Uh, if, if any of this sounded interesting, we'd love to continue the conversation with people. 
Awesome. And a final question that I often ask my guests, uh, if, you know, you can go back in time, hop in a time machine and you can go back five years, 10 years, 20 years, 25, whenever you want. And you can say, you know, find any version of yourself, any younger version of yourself and give that younger version any piece of advice. It could be business advice, life advice, anything. What would you give that younger version of Dan? Uh, Stop. Continue to focus on the marketplace, but stop running it for individual players in the marketplace. I focused way too many on some key personalities that I was uh, trying to get to sit next to us when when there was somebody else that would have happily taken that spot. Like, so it's, we just got a little too fixated on a couple personalities and, and instead of just really trying to create value in the marketplace. So awesome. I, think, I think we're, think we're there now, but we took us a while to learn that one for sure. Very interesting answer. And, you know, Dan, I just going to say, thanks so much. I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing this and, you know, giving the perspective of a, of a CEO who's really been through the ringer and has navigated everything and, you know, just expressing for people and letting them understand that the waters aren't always smooth, but, you know, like you said, consistency and also, you know, just a systematization of, of something and, and having a game plan and a plan of attack and um, just being as organized as possible. It really goes places. So thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Enjoyed the conference. Thank you again, Dan. That was uh, that was just awesome. That's all I can say. I really appreciate you being here today. Guys, I'm going to leave Dan's LinkedIn profile link in the show notes for this episode at ShatteredAmoldPodcast.com so you can check it out there and connect with him. And while I'm giving out links, a quick little reminder here that you can get my book, The Last Law of Attraction Book You'll Ever Need to Read, by going to LastLawOfAttractionBook.com. That'll auto forward to the Amazon listing. Or you can check out the free YouTube content. That's YouTube.com slash Andrew Cap. With that said, thank you so much for listening today and stay tuned. I've got more awesome guests on the way shortly. I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Shatter the Mold at www.shatterthemoldpodcast.com. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan, and it's time to shatter the mold.